and equally great all from my dad, Winston Churchill, once referred to one of his political opponents as a sheep in sheep's clothing. <laughs> Nothing dangerous about it, just a helpless sheep. And for much of the 19th century at least, popular art, popular hymns, popular poetry portrayed Jesus as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, nothing dangerous or challenging about him, just a sheep in sheep's clothing. Today we can be sentimental, we can also be fierce at the same time. Social media seems to have enabled us to engage in both those activities simultaneously. We have fused the concepts of anger and of love, easily protected by a firewall of separation from any physical contact. Pictures of cute little kittens fight for screen space with graphic voices of atrocities. False news stimulates people, particularly those who don't think much about what they hear. So when Jesus walked by and John announced to his followers, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you wonder what they were supposed to make of this rather improbable claim. What were they to make of this idea? If they had the slightest familiarity with their faith, and they certainly did, if they had any, any association at all with their religious traditions, and they most certainly did, two words stood out to them, the words lamb and the word sin. First century Judaism was based on two traditions. The older one placed the temple center stage. It invoked members of their father Abraham and his attempt to offer his wife Sarah's only son as a human sacrifice. But in the story, God's messenger intervenes and instructs Abraham to substitute an available animal, a goat, the sin of his son. God was going to accept an animal, albeit an animal in mint condition, as a blood offering by which the person, the family, the tribe, the nation were atoned, made one with their creator. Around this system there grew the tabernacle and then the temple cult, supervised by a hereditary priesthood descended from Moses' brother-in-law, Aaron. The second vital part of Jewish religion in the days of Jesus was the synagogue system. The Old Testament tells the story of Israel torn apart, situated between aggressive world powers, overrun and conquered time and time again, and each of the conquering powers sought to convince the Jewish people to give up their religious faith, tried to cower and coerce them, destroying the temple, destroying all the visible connection they had with their God. These Jewish people, though hostage by the waters of Babylon, as the psalm and the hymn remind us, not only wept, they gathered together to hear the scriptures read by authorized teachers. So in first century Palestine, temple worship, 
with its substitutionary sacrifices, situated in Jerusalem, jostled together with the synagogue practice, where people heard and received the scriptures on a regular basis and tried to apply them to daily life. Now, if that sounds rather familiar to you, let me remind you that the Book of Order, the Presbyterian Church, says that for a worship service to be conducted, a portion of the word must be read and explained. So the Jews are being good Presbyterians. <laughs> or the Presbyterians are being good Jews, I'm not sure which. Notice how today's gospel brings together those two practices. Not a theory, but in a person. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, the one who died that we might be made right with God, we might be forgiven, we might be at one with the Lord. Jesus is also a rabbi, the appointed, authorized teacher in whom God's law is renewed and applied to the new citizens and their chosen nation. Now, one of the ongoing, never-ending debates theological squabbles concerns how Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is or is not or to what degree it may be a substitute for our sins. Our family sins, the church's sins, the sins of the whole world. The important point is not whether or not uh, just how this operates. The important point is God knows that this is true. This has been done. This has been accomplished. Our minds are best focused on communion rather than on theories of how atonement works. On person rather than on a theological point of view. In the holy meal, which we take together at least once each month, we bring to life in the here and now sacrifice once offered for the sin of the whole world. We eat we drink, we ingest the life of Jesus, the Lamb of God. But on every Sunday, we hear Jesus the rabbi, the authorized teacher, expound to us God's law, the words that the Jews heard at the time of Jesus, the words that Christians have heard since the time of Jesus. And we corporately confess our misdeeds, our missteps, and our flirtation with sin. We do so as God's community of priests. We stand between God and the human race, the nations and the church, families and ourselves. So sitting in your pew this morning, I ask you to look up with the mind of faith, see the Lamb of God, the one you call Rabbi, and in your hearts to say, have mercy on us, and grant us once more your peace. Let us stand and let us affirm our faith in the apostles' peace.